Hello and welcome to the Matt Belair podcast. As an explorer of the mind and world, author and coach, I have spent a lifetime learning how to push my limits and achieve my highest potential. My mission is to bring you the most inspiring, conscious, and empowering teachers, leaders, and thinkers on the planet. To bring you stories, lessons, and messages that will help you master your mind, body, and spirit. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Hello, wonderful human being. I hope that you're having a tremendous day. Thank you so much for joining me once again, and it's a privilege and an honor to be with you. We have another fantastic episode for you. We have David Solomon on, and we are talking about alchemy, magic, and possibility. We dive deep into this one, into so many stuff, so much stuff. We talk about Mystery School, the work of Dr. Masaru Amoto, Dean Radin, the Observer Effect, the Law of Attraction. We talk about the Ladder of Manifestation, which I really like. Um, we talk about uh, the purpose of polarity, alchemy, um, persistent non-symbolic representation, using breath to come back to reality and change the state of mind, um, holotrophic breath work. We, we talk about a bunch of stuff here, so you're going to love it. I hope that you really enjoy this episode. If you like it, please share it with your friends, um, tag your aha moments and, and tag myself and David as well. And just, you know, on Facebook or social media, just let us know what you liked about the episode. Um, but the best thing that you can do if you want to support is just do one kind action today. Hold the door open, pick up a piece of trash, say a kind word. I don't care what it is. Do one kind action. If not, please take the kindness challenge. Go a step further and just do three kind acts a day for a week. Um, and then just tag me in it and let me know that you're taking it. That way I know the, the podcast is working. So you could also go to patreon.com forward slash Matt Belair and you could toss a buck in the bucket. That really does help a tremendous amount. Thank you so much, Liz Glasgow, for taking a moment going over there and tossing a buck in because it really helps so thanks so much um check out mattbelair.com sign up for the email list and if you want a free lucid dreaming guide a guide to lucid dreaming and also an audio that's basically a hypnotic audio that allows you to get there quicker and easier you can check that out um and what else um if you guys want some coaching just go to mattbelair.com forward slash coaching um you're going to find all the information that you need um i'm happy to share what i've learned and um, take you through the heart journey experience hypnotic activations, one-on-one coaching, things like that. So you can check all that there. Um, please support my, my teacher, my mentor, David Lonebear Senapass. Um, go to lonebearsarts.com. He has incredible handmade Native American jewelry that is reactive, vibrational for real. Uh, vibrational jewelry, really amazing stuff. Um, and he does need our help. Um, so anybody out there that wants to help with uh, graphic design, administrative assistant, uh, video, web work, anything like that, um, angel investors, we need it all because we have a big vision, uh, very small team, myself included, and I could definitely use any kind of volunteer, any helper. So if you guys are down to help and have some skills, we would gladly accept that and really appreciate it too. So thank you guys so much for listening. I know that you're going to really love this episode. I I think I got it all in there. Um, so before we, we start, let's come to a powerful state of peace and presence. So wherever you are in the world, just stop what you're doing and taking a deep breath in through your nose. Holding that breath, just coming to a powerful state of peace and presence now. And just let that breath out slowly with all the cares and all the worries of the day. Taking in another deep breath in through your nose. 
holding that breath and just doubling the feeling of peace and presence and adding gratitude now and just letting that breath out slowly just resetting the mind the body and spirit through your breath all right take it one more deep breath in through your nose holding that breath and just feeling love and gratitude and peace and surrender and connection and inner power and inner knowing and inner gratitude and just let that breath out slowly with any care any limitation and every any self-doubt any self-criticism and just go about the rest of your day feeling elated feeling joyful feeling confident feeling connected so all right let's get into this incredible episode with david solomon Hello and welcome to another episode of the Master Mind, Body, and Spirit Show. I'm your host, Matt Belair. Today's guest's purpose is to discover, improve, and teach real magic by building the best mystery school in the world. He is a channel and a magician with training in multiple traditions by masterful human, divine, and extraterrestrial teachers and lineages, including the Atlantean School of Dominher. His experience of over 222 miracles, synchronicities, and cities of rapid healing, manifestation, materialization, telekinesis, and other phenomenon led him to write Magic is Real, How to Create Reality, Manifest Miracles, and Make Spirituality Fun Again. The system of open source magic he uses is intended to support divine embodiment and the building of temples of Thoth. Lakshmi and Aphrodite, as well as launching the future city, Atlantis Reborn in 2041. Welcome to the show, David Solomon. Thank you so much. It's great to be here, Matt. I really appreciate you uh, reading pretty much the last chapter of my book. So that's a great introduction. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Well, thanks for coming on. I got introduced to you from uh, Brandon Beecham, uh, the positive head. Shout out, Brandon. He's awesome. Um, And, you know, what he shared and what I just read there is extremely fascinating. Some of that I know about, um, I've heard different things, but my knowledge base isn't too deep on all of it. So maybe you can just start with a little background on who you are, um, how you got to writing that book, some of the experiences in the book, and then we'll, we'll kind of dive in from there. Yeah, sounds great, Matt. And I, I love that you mentioned Brandon as well, because on the two interviews we did actually back to back, a lot of things uh, came up in those that are coming up now in terms of remembering past lives. And so when talking about background, it's always interesting because a lot of people say, well, in this life, this happened and that happened and that happened and I was affected in these ways. And as somebody who has recovered memories of past lives, whatever people want to look at that as, in, in the first chapter I look at dimensional perspectives. So a material reductionist, the physical world is all we have says, oh, that's a hallucination or a subconscious idea or part of your imagination. But if we feel that's part of who we are, then that's part of who we are. And if you're a being who lives and perceives on what I would call the causal karmic plane, the fifth dimensional reality, you see yourself as a soul with different lives and you see the fourth dimensional astral energetic plane. So to answer one of your questions directly, this book really came to me during my training. Uh, There was a period from about 2015 until... I think pretty much early this year, early 2018, where I had about four to seven sessions a week. Um, Some were healing, some were training. During the healing, I was very open perceptually and I asked tons and tons of questions. And what ended up happening is I would shift into an altered state. I would kind of expand. Something would come through and I would speak it. And as this developed, I recorded it. And once 30, 40 recordings got together, I thought, "This this is a bigger body of work. 
um, professionally, the ego wanted to have a career in magic to be able to take in the energy, which we currently call money to pay for the expenses we need in life. So I could do this and focus on this full time while realizing that that would require me to live at such a high level of integrity because uh, people who are professional magicians um, or professional spiritual teachers, healers, etc., either charge for sessions or have schools or get donations or do the entertainment thing. So as these things were coming through, these transmissions, and I recorded them and then started transcribing them, I realized it would make sense both for living to a higher standard and offering something to the world and grounding all of these higher transmissions in something that has a lot of structure and direct practical application that the format of a book made the most sense. And over time, especially while at Dominher, it was revealed that it would be seven books and there's three, three books worth of content written. The first is published and online. Um, as of today, it's Kindle. Within a few days, there should be an Audible version released with a beautiful epic soundtrack and a mysterious old wizard voice uh, made by my good friend Jack Reeder. Um, and then the, the hardcover paperback are coming out pretty soon in terms of being available. Um, at least the paperback. The, the hardcover will take, I think, a bit more time. So aside from that three years of training, it was put on by a huge Saturn return, a couple of life crises, a couple of near-death experiences back-to-back -back in 2014 and 15. Um, but I've been deeply interested in, if not obsessed with magic, uh, this whole incarnation since I was five. And I recovered a lot of memories of past lives going all the way back, I'd say 563,000 years, the number that, that has felt constant when I uh, separated from a certain fire god, uh, consciousness-wise. And so it's interesting, having received transmissions that are part of the book, looking at human ascension and descension, we start as the lowest level consciousness in life. We evolve. Um, I heard recently, I haven't, I haven't checked this out, that the highest level of consciousness before humans are dogs, which is interesting, uh, especially for dog lovers. Um, and then as humans, one map that has come through and that has been mirrored in a few things I've, I've read is, you know, we're at some human level of consciousness, young soul, old soul, evolved soul, ascended master, and then what's after an ascended master? Um, there's stories of apotheosis where Thoth transcended the halls of Amenti and then became a god and then chose to reincarnate Bahitsapa style as Hermes and other incarnations. There are things by people like David Wilcox. There's a lot said about him, um, but some of the things he's mentioned about evolution are after an ascended master level, we get work on creating life. Um, certain transmissions like Love Grossman's, which are beautiful, wrapped in some fiction, and there's a lot of direct stuff talk about at higher levels, you create worlds. Um, and I've had transmissions that, you know, at some points we are worlds, at some points we create multiverses, Vishnu style. And if we experience all that is to experience, first all human lives, then all fractaline representations of unity, at some point in that we are Vishnu, we are Ganesh, we are Lakshmi. And as we ascend and hit points of non-duality and unity consciousness, we can have bits of those that are embodied or if we need projected in the guise of that divinity. So my whole life, I've been deeply interested in magic, always reading books, um, a lot of fiction, a lot of nonfiction, looking for patterns, practicing stuff, um, astral projected and had some big rituals come uh, in my early teens and, and I think at 12. Uh, and so this has just been a very magical life, only getting more so by the week. Holy crap, man. That's a beginning. I don't even know where to start with a question with that. Um, I think the, the, well, just for somebody who doesn't know, can you just start with like what a mystery school is? Because um, Egypt had a mystery school. Was it one or several? I don't, I don't know that much, but maybe you can start just on what mystery schools are and what's the, uh, the, what's Dominher all about. 
Well, if they're mysteries, then maybe we won't know, right? How many schools each have had. So one definition of a mystery school is looking at mist, the veal of Maya, and the process of occlusion or hiding the occult. And I look at this as uh, I once heard from Dean Radin, if magic were ubiquitous, the world would last 30 minutes because somebody out there would throw a temper tantrum and do something that would affect everything in a way that they felt was okay, but we, we might not. So mystery schools generally protected and safeguard magical knowledge. And it's kind of like an adult holding the child's hand um, away from the stove or pulling them back from the street. Eventually the kid grows up, which is represented in us growing up psychologically, emotionally, maturity-wise. Um, but now, especially as we're coming out of the dark ages, more of that's being revealed. And then, of course, with the internet and instant communication globally, you know, you put out a legitimate aspect of truth with a capital tree to capital T, <laughs> allowing people to affect reality in all sorts of ways, like growing trees fast, as was shown in the movie Aluna by the Kobe people of Colombia, who regrew rainforest, I think it was 20 years, really fast, the government brought them in. And so you have all these magical happenings and possibilities. And in mystery schools, generally, those possibilities are taught with the foundation of what is reality, really? What is the illusion most of us live in? What are we, human, divine, ET hybrids, Anunnaki is involved, you know, what are we? Um, I personally believe there's different ways of viewing that. You have the Masons, you have the Greeks, mystery schools, you have Egypt, you have Dominher. So getting right down to present day, a large embodied mystery school exists in Damanhur, along with the School of Alchemy, a School of Healing, Community, and Art, and probably a few others. Um, I've been there, I've studied there, I've walked their labyrinths, I've been in their sacred woods, which is very rich of nourishing deep energy. I've had certain activations, a lot of powerful experiences, uh, seen their gorgeous, gorgeous temples, and haven't seen, but have read quite a bit about their time travel work and mechanics. So. There's a lot of levels, not just to Damanhur, but to mystery schools around the world. And so my intent with mine is to demystify mysticism. And the purpose of open source magic is to really get grounded and transparent. If, if we look at religion, especially over the last millennia, eventually you have political people in some type of power, whether they're a religious leader or political leader, or in some cases both, and their ego comes up. And because their ego comes up, they say things or do things in a way that serves the ego and not the spirit, and then religions get a bad rap and you have abuse scandals and all this stuff. But if we make stuff open source, if we're like, what is reality? How do we affect reality? Material sciences, there's pretty much consensus agreement on those. What about psychic abilities? What about figuring out third eye stuff, pineal gland stuff, chakras, energy? So in, in China, in Chinese medicine, generally there's agreement. How many meridians are there? What are they called? What acupoints do what things with most people? So as we get more subtle and we get to define what are subtle energies, what are souls, what are divine beings in all the relations to us, multidimensionally, et cetera. And if we have something that's open sourced, we can get the most powerful magicians around the world. We can cohesively analyze the different mystery schools and find what's in common. And then we can teach with the appropriate safeguards, the right techniques to evolve quality of life and fun and spiritual understanding and healing and all that stuff in a way that enables magic to be more and more present in our day-to-day -day lives. Uh, defining magic as technology most of us don't understand yet because it's pretty advanced using Arthur Clarke's definition. 
Okay. Awesome, man. <laughs> my, my brain is like, as you're talking, I'm just thinking about so many questions that I want to ask. Um, I think that a good grounding basis, because I like the idea of affecting reality, you know, growing up a martial artist, um, I was curious about how Shaolin masters could do all of these incredible feats that didn't make any sense. They were essentially magical. How do you break stone, break brick, um, you know, break iron over your head, things like that. So I went to China, I trained with 34th generation Shaolin masters, and I learned how they did it. Um, the process was simple. It was, it was very excruciating, and very challenging, and they had to do it over years. Um, but the application of how you could do the quote unquote magic was real. But they also very much believed and was a huge part of influencing energy, the energy of their body and their mind um, in co-creation with their body. So there was both. Um, and you couldn't do one without the other. And the reason why when the, um, when the master would break the stone with two fingers, he would move his chi and his energy to his fingers. And he would do that through a process. And so um, it's really fascinating in, in thinking about how do we influence a reality. And, and the, the other thing that comes to mind is Dr. Joe Dispenza's work where he's teaching people that's like, okay, you can heal yourself. Um, and, and my idea on just the general belief system, if you believe you can or you believe you can't, um, you're probably right. And, but the thing is, if you give yourself no chance on influencing your reality, on healing yourself. If like, there's no chance I'm going to, you know, in sport, there's no chance I'm going to land this backflip. Well, you're definitely not going to. But if you believe you can, you give yourself the best opportunity to influence your reality. So I'm just wondering if you can um, de define for you what you've discovered, like what is reality? Because that question in itself, we could talk about forever. And what is the illusion? And then if once we define those two things, um, maybe move into uh, how, if you are in the Maya, if you're in the illusion, how do you break kind of out of that and have a wider awareness? And then what can we do to influence a reality? And what you're kind of talking about is what are the limits, which I'm always curious about. Can we move matter? Can we instantaneously heal like Sadhguru's story about healing his leg? Um, so where is that line? How do we do it ourselves? And I'll just stop there. Beautiful. <laughs> <A lot. laughs> well, my, my answer covering, covering that stuff has four components. So to start with Dr. Dispenza's statements in You Are the Placebo, a fabulous book, very highly recommended, especially for healing, um, no affiliation. He talks about certain research he's looked at um, that I believe stated matter phases in and out of existence seven, eight times a second. And through the observer effect with quantum science and a lot more vocabulary than just the buzzword quantum science. So legit research, not just using a phrase for some new agey goal, which a lot of books have done. Through that observer effect, through that focusing and that expectation and that will and a whole ladder of manifestation, uh, actually I, something I, I represented in my book as a graphic to get very clear on how we edit reality, going from idea to thought to belief to hope to faith to knowing. And we can deconstruct those later if, if you want to ask about it. And so through that manifestation process or observer effect or other vocabulary or other lens, depending on the mystery school or school of thought you learn it in, you affect the position of the matter, the quarks, the electrons, the protons, the structure of the stuff. Um, kind of like when Dr. Marcel Vogel was doing crystal research, held an image of the the Madonna in his mind, and then the crystals and light formed into a matrix representing that image, uh, which is kind of interesting. And Masaru Emoto in the, the, I think it was the healing of water, the shape of water, did research uh, claiming the stuff with faith and love written on slips of paper and water frozen over it. But I've heard mixed things about that research being reproducible. 
Um, but what Dean Radin says very interestingly about science and magic is because the observer effect is one of the foundational reasons and aspects of causality there, if you have a strong anti-belief that something will happen, your expectation that it won't happen affects reality. And Isaac Bonwitz, the only person that UC Berkeley gave a degree in magic to, and if I remember right, a great physicist who wrote Real Magic uh, before Dean Radin did, but Dean Radin references it, really, really excellent book. Bonwitz talks about this thing called catasi, C-A-T-A-P-S-I. So you talk about a cathode and an anode, and you talk about psi as magical brain stuff, energy that affects the world in, in the parapsychological fields. So catasi, cathode anode, is anti-psi or anti-magic. And so then we get to a hierarchy of belief and expectation. What happens? If you want to edit reality, what happens if you want to and somebody thinks you can't? Well, I believe it's whoever uses consciousness more strongly. That isn't who has a higher consciousness or stronger awareness, because at the highest levels, we're all the same. But at the lower levels, just like you and I likely um, chi and prana generally being the same, depending on how much you want to analyze those. So really looking at what is reality, the second component, I mentioned a little bit of how to edit it through belief and expectation manifestation first. Reality in, in one lens is the material illusion that we are projecting through our core to enable us as souls to learn, grow, and evolve as we project out the subtle energies that affect our world, the karmic threads that affect what comes to us. You treat somebody with kindness or scorn, that comes back to you. You steal, that comes back to you, generally, etc. The thing is, expectation can overrule that. So when we're looking at a model of reality, we have the physical, like, I get punched, my head goes like that. And the subtle levels, okay, I'm sending you the energy of peace and love. Can you feel that? Are your chakras, are your perceptions open? Do you believe in actually doing that? Or do you have catacide to counteract that? And then causal karmically, all the way up to unity, where we're all one, you see yourself as creating this and dancing with yourself in oneness. So that illusion, that veal, why are we creating it to live on this plane um, you know, that's actually something I'm receiving is something that we, we shouldn't right now, at least in this episode, go too deep in. It is a question I asked when I said, okay, this is a school. That's kind of a cliche answer. Where else do we go with there? And when I asked that question, I went outside and it was a kind of a cloudy night here in Palo Alto. You could see like maybe 10 stars. And I was just kind of taken over or embodied by this huge knowing and I held that knowing, and the clouds vanished, and hundreds of stars appeared in the sky. And it was brilliant and enchanting and gorgeous, and it was so exciting. It's like, ooh, magic, it's physical, it's on a big scale, you know, you can't slate of hand, a whole sky of clouds away. And I called my boyfriend, I told him what happened, the clouds came back, like, oh wait, ego's here. Hung up the phone, shifted back into knowing all the stars, or things that look like stars, came out. So looking at what is this model and why are we here to learn and to play and to edit and to shift, um, I would refer to Andy Weir's poem, The Egg. So Andy Weir wrote The Martian, excellent book, great movie. And in his poem, The Egg, which I asked to publish, but I couldn't because of uh, publisher reasons, what he said, is you die. It's, it's kind of first person. You die. You talk to this other being. It's God. And God says, 
I hope you had a good experience. Your next one, you'll be a peasant girl, um, you know, a few hundred years in the past. And you're like, wait, time travel? And God's like, you know, very long poem, very rich. I, would, I, I can't do it justice giving quotes. I'm just paraphrasing it. Um, we all live all lives. And after we live all human lives, we graduate from this egg and we, you know, join him, her, it. So to answer, you know, your other question about how do we escape this, um, I'll use the word matrix because a holographic matrix of creation or illusion or veil of Maya is one nice paradigm for this, this type of conversation. Um, when a friend asked this who wanted to study with me last week, I was wearing a Fruit Lip shirt. And just to be completely neutral outside of all faiths and connotations, I said, well, what I'm getting is think of the goddess of Fruit Loops. She's in her lab and there's a Petri dish. And that Petri dish is the universe of humanity. And the goal is to figure out how to get that Petri dish pink. And we could call that pinkness, ascension, unity, oneness, golden age, all the things that most of us want to manifest into. Heaven on earth, bliss, true divine nature, full awakening, full enlightenment, depending on how you define that stuff. So what happens if we try to do something that will ultimately turn that Petri dish yellow? Well, if we are a tiny cell in that Petri dish, to run with this metaphor, maybe we don't know what will make it yellow or pink. Maybe teaching spiritual healing will make it a bit more pink, but teaching materialization of creatures of any type that we can imagine, and down in her um, creating astral beings are called chimeras. There's a similar technique in hermetic philosophy. And what if we could just do that? Well, you know, maybe the good people would have unicorns and the bad people would have, you know, vicious snake demons and it'd be an interesting world. And maybe that world would fall apart, you know, Dean Radin's 30 minutes thing. And that would turn the Petri dish yellow. So maybe the goddess of Fruit Loops to use, you know, one aspect for something that again is us, but at higher levels as a more powerful being, just like, you know, in the day-to-day -day physical only, maybe you could bench press more than me. So maybe you're more physically powerful than me. It's a word without judgment. It's just a measuring tool. So maybe this goddess of Fruit Loops put a safeguard on the Petri dish so we can't turn the color yellow. And there's a lot of other lab assistants rooting for us to turn pink. But if we turn yellow, we get the slate white clean. Um, fractally, you could look at that as Atlantis being destroyed for immorality and lack of maturity. I know you mentioned earlier a different view on Atlantis. So maybe we'll, we'll dive into that. And so breaking out of this egg, breaking out of this matrix, breaking out of that Petri dish, joining goddess fruit loops or whoever you want to put in her place as now new lab techs that design beings worlds universes i feel is something that we evolve and shift into and for that path um, i feel that the law of one is a great path to look at or follow and as somebody whose uh, mission it is to create the best mystery school in the world I look forward to the day when we can incorporate the law of one and the Egyptian mystery schools and the Greek ones and Kabbalah and Christian mysticism. And, you know, like, like the good place said, really funny. It's a great show on Netflix about a, a type of heaven and hell relationship. Um, every religion got it about 5% right. But this one guy, Todd tripped balls on mushrooms one day and got it 96% right when he was super high. So, um, you know, it's what's that consensus reality and what's that consensus way of, editing reality and escaping and shifting from it. And then the enlightenment traditions, how much does that really matter? Maybe we should just be present and stand in joy. That's awesome. It actually leads into uh, the question as you're going there. There's a few questions that I want to ask, but um, you know, the idea of um, 
manifestation versus contentment. So you've got like the Zen philosophy of whatever is, we're, we're good. You know, like that's kind of what it's teaching, like peace and mindfulness and, and you're observing the reality, you know, rather than forcing it. My current view that I'll just share. And so you can rant on whatever you wish, but uh, it's like, it's like the yin yang. It's a push and pull. It's an influence and a surrender back and forth. And when you're working with magic and when you're working with influence, your own reality and creating it, right. I, I deliberately attempt to create my reality, but also surrender. So I was like, okay, well, do I want to go snowboarding? Well, that's different than me wanting to go um, for a hike or to do work or to write a poem or to learn something or to travel or whatever. I get that choice to influence my reality and life experience as is my I believe is my right on the planet so I'm curious your thoughts on um, that balance of manifestation and influencing your reality um, versus surrendering to it allowing and, and finding peace with whatever you have if you have the worst situation going um, and everything's falling apart like finding peace and then finally I wanted to just throw in there that I think that your would you say faith knowing whatever that ladder is that does sound interesting and I'd love for you to elaborate on that yeah my pleasure um, so why act is the ultimate question, I feel, between that action and surrender. Why take action at all? And different faiths have different perspectives. Jainists, from my understanding, try to not step on bugs because they don't want to affect karma in a negative way. Um, people who eat meat, you know, they look at the cycle of life and evolution and say, yeah, I get that animals have souls and feelings, but so do plants, so do microbes at some level. Um, certain traditions would probably say microbes don't have souls, but there's, there's room for many belief systems in this world. But ultimately, look at any action you take. Why did you eat your last meal? And for most of us, the response is we choose to. That choice could be reactive. That choice could be habitual. It could have a lot of intention. How we carry out that choice could be sacred or could just be automatic without a lot of mindfulness. And depending on the tradition, that too could be sacred. So in looking at why do we act, looking at a meal is, is pretty mundane. We eat meals to sustain ourselves because that's currently how we sustain ourselves for most of us. And so when you get into higher levels of action, like well, what about magic? What about astral travel? What about pursuing a life goal, a dream, an ambition, a big achievement, really taking a lot of effort and time um, and all these other things and resources to make something happen? Build a skyscraper, build a school, build a temple, get an Olympic gold medal, you know, any type of action or achievement we would want in life because we choose to. We either choose at a soul, and then as an ego, we realize it's a knowing, a purpose, an alignment, a path, a, a choice we made before this incarnation, and so we need to align our ego with our soul to live that choice and build that skyscraper, win that Olympic gold, live in a cave for 37 years, whatever it might be. And like Neo said in Matrix Revolutions, one of the, the few good aspects about that movie, when he was asked, you know, what's his motivator? He said, I choose to. And emotionally, that doesn't have a big oomph behind it. But I would offer that emotionally, that's extremely liberating. You know, if your leg gets chopped off, you could choose to be completely passive, completely in, do nothing and accept life as it's given to you, or do something, get a prosthetic leg, work on researching all types of healing things to regenerate your leg completely, um, you know, et cetera. So it, it comes down to choice, it comes down to free will and higher self and all that stuff. And I think it's really very, very individual. Um, it gets a little bit murky when you get into systems of relative morality and say, well, this should or should not be done. And I would just offer it back up to you know, any of the viewers here, what feels right, what feels aligned, what choice feels true. Um, 
you know, some of us would say, hopefully that's a choice aligned with light and love and service. Others, others would say there's room for expression of everything in unity. Uh, I'm going to go on the light side for a whole bunch of reasons. I, I like the world to last more than 30 minutes. <laughs> but to, to, for those who choose to act, which is probably everybody who chooses to, you know, drink their next sip of water, um, the ladder of manifestation is, is thus. You start at an idea. I want to have that next meal. I want to learn telekinesis. I want to develop psychic abilities. I want to have a child. I want to go for a run. And that idea goes to a thought. I'm thinking about this. I'm processing it. I'm visualizing it. And so to take you know, some higher level of manifestation, um, launching Atlantis Reborn, 10 million person city, after building a temple of Thoth, Aphrodite and Lakshmi, things that I have slated in the next 10 years. So that's a big, big choice, a lot of choices, but it also feels like something in highest alignment. It's been consistent since the idea came in my head, much more consistent than um, you know, certain types of food choices. So it's interesting looking at a soul and spiritual alignment. Okay, I'm choosing for this life to build the city. That is an ego. Oh, I'm going to build a city. It feels right. Shaving off the parts of the ego that want to feel important and special and stuff. But then when you get down to little choices like be ketogenic or paleo or omnivorous or, or something else, you know, there's, there's all this stuff with the ego and the superego conditioning. And some of those choices can actually be a little harder or more confusing, which is it's kind of funny when you think about it. Like the big choices can be easier than the day-to-day -day little ones. What does that say about what we've learned to process if you get it backwards in school? And so as we elevate on that ladder of manifestation and we go up from thought, um, you know, you get to hope. Like I hope this can happen. And then you level up in confidence again. I believe this will happen. Um, there's data and evidence showing I believe it. Um, you know, for any of the examples, going for a run, maybe you've done it before, so you believe in yourself that you can. An Olympic gold, you know, you're very confident. You have resources, support, you've studied it. And then from belief, the next stage is faith. So faith is knowing before there's material evidence. This is a very, very concise definition of faith. I know it's a deep, deep topic that you can write volumes about. And so that is really the crux of manifestation, bridging the conception into material reality. So if you're a very, very high-level yogi, like in Paramahansa Yogananda's book, you can materialize a palace in half a second, like that. And you have the whole thought, the whole conception in your mind, and as soon as it's there, you decide for it to be. And based on your level of awareness and uh, based on something Dr. Dispenza has said that resonates with many traditions in Tibetan Buddhism, you're more wave than particle, you're more light, you're more energy than matter. You can coalesce and direct the structure of energy. And based on the strength of your visualization, concentration, determination, decision, and alignment, to bring in Patanjali's Yoga Sutras for a second, you have the palace. And that faith is so strong and so instant, and you're so high above the time, space, day-to-day -day reality that you see that palace, and then the next time reality flickers into being every seven, eight times a second, the palace is there. Most of us can't materialize an apple, much less a levitating cat farting sprinkles, which I talk about as, you know, once we're farther along the path, we can do that no problem. But most of us have, have a long ways to go. Um, and, you know, making spirituality fun, that's, that's easier to laugh about than, you know, a diamond um, or a car. Um, but just like I think a lot of teachers say in, in the wealth circles, if you can manifest a dollar or a million dollars, it's the same energy. Well, maybe, but belief is where a lot of us get caught on the crooks. Um, a great tool is the fearless soul track, believe in yourself. And I used to listen to that over and over if I was working on feeling confident enough to shift into something 
a belief that something could manifest. Um, Justin Fairman and Jackie Nectel of the Flow Mastery Institute talk about a belief clearing uh, exercise. And so that can also help in magic and take you up this ladder of manifestation. And so just to wrap with this question, as we're working to choose to manifest and edit this reality, edit this hologram by observing very strongly, including the emotional astral energetic plane and all the dimensions with it, um, you know, what makes that right or wrong? It's your personal morality of what is aligned with your highest self as truth in this moment and what supersedes what? Is that higher than this yin-yang model? I, I believe so, because when you have two paradoxical truths, either they're two sides of the same coin or one takes precedence. Um, don't kill people is a rule most of us think is important, but if that person was about to kill 100,000 people and they've done you know, deeds most people would call evil, you could say it's a good deed to kill that person. So um, you know, back to highest self, stepping away from ego, I feel is the ideal arbiter in, in any individual type of choice. Man, that's awesome. I love that. I've never heard of the ladder of manifestation before, and I really enjoy that. Um, I think that there is another element because I, I really like it. So it starts with the idea, yeah. um, idea pops in, then you like are having continuous thoughts. Um, I would imagine how that goes. Then you have hope, then you have belief, then you have faith, which is like faith, like the belief in yourself and then faith is like, I don't know if you can distinguish that. And then is it knowing? Is that the end of the ladder? Is that faith? And then or is it manifestation of knowing? I feel like there was, you talked about an end of it. I just wanted to double check. So faith and then knowing. Yes. So yeah, you're right. So faith is knowing before the physical representation and then knowing mm. is when it is there. So right. the line can be a little bit blurry at those higher levels. And how do you define knowing of something that will happen tomorrow, for example? You know, so that, that's a very, very wishy thing. Um, but after knowing, I would say you could add the shape, the word validation. And I don't include that in the latter because that's actually a trigger word for a lot of people in spiritual communities. Um, but I would say, and I would say to most audiences, validation in consensus reality comes after that. So as we were talking before the show, you know, somebody says they could do something, you believe them or you don't, you need that validation to go up all those steps. And it's one point of view to feel that it, for that validation to occur, if it's a co-creation for your catasci to disappear and you to allow or will that siddhi, that miracle to appear, um, say um, manifesting a crystal out of thin air and say this just appeared in my hands, I didn't pick it up, but it just materialized, you know, possibly you and I, and very likely in terms of talking about catching real magic on camera, everybody who would view that video, is there sufficient belief, faith, and knowing of a thing to be possible in whatever context, this being can do it, that being is not of high enough awareness, this being is a guru, that being is a, you know, whatever. And so as we shift into collective awakening, we all are the Messiah. We all are that collective guru and we all work together and we're shifting from praying to one person and seeing and agreeing on that person is powerful to agreeing on our own unity of power and manifesting stuff together, whether it's a palace or a crystal or um, a healed body part or anything. Right. Yeah. Well, I definitely agree with that. I'll, I'll phrase it in different words, just the way that my mind's thinking about it, because the, my 
um, background in just kind of understanding how I influence my reality. You know, when I was a teenager, I was like, what do I want to do with my life? Um, I knew I wanted to snowboard, so I had to figure all that out. I had to write it down. Um, I had to go do those things. I had to believe that I could get out there and do this because I had nothing. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. Um, and so I think about the ladder of manifestation. And one thing that I wanted to add on is like, I think that we have a lifetime to manifest that the thing that we want, you know, I we live in a society where it's instant gratification, you know, instant apple in hand, but we are in the third dimension right now. We can influence things, but it takes time. If you want to master snowboarding with me and you've never snowboarded before, it's going to take you time. If you want to learn a master martial arts, it's going to take you a bit of time. Um, so when we can connect to an idea or a thought or uh, something that we really resonate with, like actually from our heart. It's not um, financially based. It's not survival based. It's not fear based. It's like expression based. It's like, okay, there's no fear. You're going to have food, water, shelter, everything you need. You don't have to worry about anything. What do you want to do? And I think that when you have that idea of out of scarcity, you can, you can think with that freedom. But I also think that this is what makes this learning in this school a little bit more fun is knowing that you don't have that safety net. That's what makes it thrilling. That's what makes it a ride. When I go do a, a backflip over a jump, it's not like I know I'm going to land it. Like, especially the first few, I definitely didn't know if I was going to land it. Um, but you know, over, it gives you that exhilaration and it also gives you something that you spoke a little bit about at the beginning is like that, that free or maybe not at the beginning, but uh, that choice, you know, I choose to. And um, studying with the Native American elder who we, we, we talked a little bit about, you know, he's just like, a lot of people will ask me, what is my purpose? And I say, whatever, whatever you want, whatever you decide it is, you have spiritual free will here to choose and to create your reality. And so I just wanted to kind of add that because I think that in the man that I, I agree with that, um, idea of the, the ladder of manifestation. And there's other tools, you know, like writing it down, getting clear on what you want, visualizing is super important, feeling it and connecting to the energy. You know, if you could switch my body with another body and they go to do a backflip, they'll do it right away because they have that knowing and they know what it feels like. So what if we could take that into the thing that we're trying to manifest? And so um, I could either let you elaborate on that. But the question that I wanted to ask you and and I'm sure this has come up in your studies. What's your view on, on polarity? Um, the reason why we have polarity and suffering, because I think it's an important part of having this stage in this dimension we're in. And if we move into the people will call ascended 5d ascended master, that kind of disappears. It's a different thing and you can manifest instantly, but we're, we're navigating that growth right now, mentally, spiritually, and emotionally. Um, so I'm just curious if you could speak your thoughts on that. Yeah, for sure. Um, the phrase, the wound is the gift, comes to mind. So a lot of people have a healing crisis. Western medicine fails them. They turn to Eastern medicine, spiritual healing, something like that. They learn it's real, and some of them study it more deeply. Some in turn choose to really research and practice, and then a fewer amount, like Barbara Brennan, choose to really pioneer. Um, Brennan actually, I believe, was a NASA physicist, and I don't know if she had any major crises, um, and then from looking at subtle energies and really advanced stuff in reality and in NASA, she's like, oh, energy healing is real. I'm going to start a school. And you know, now she's one of the most spiritually influential people in the world. So the purpose of polarity, we could say you know, light and dark, pain and suffering and love and light and joy and happiness, is there's a stimulus and then a response. And stepping out of stimulus and response, stepping out of the whole karmic cycle, sure, we could say we want to do that. But, you know, there's a great example. Earlier today, somebody in my life, I'll call him Joe, um, 
I was talking with Joe and Joe got really nasty and started swearing at me and started threatening me. And it's just a, a normal, interesting scenario. I was saying like, here's our agreements and Joe didn't want to hold to those agreements. And it's, it's very, very minor in terms of consequences. It's like 50 bucks worth of consequences. It's not that huge. But Joe was sharing all this nasty energy. So when I was re receiving it, I had an option. My option is I could have gotten hit by it, to use the martial arts analogy, and just like, oh, all this energy. And then being super reactive, you know, like react and try to send that energy back. I could block it and, you know, get hit somewhere and say, oh, you know, I'm wounded that somebody doesn't respect me or care for me or send me love. Or I could dodge it and, you know, ignore it, which is like saying, oh, he's immature or some other thing. Or using principles of Aikido, harmonize with it and switch spots so we see each other's perspective, offer love, offer compassion, step out of the typical reactive cause and effect, and use that stimulus as a reminder that there is always a choice to respond. And so whether we get hit by something, block something, dodge something, or harmonize, I think is dependent on the scenario. But looking at polarity, I feel that that gives us a choice to better ourselves or to evolve. Um, you know, this is a very, you could see this in a really extreme case of, um, of forgiving somebody who murders your child. Um, there's a lot of cases of that happening. And there was one time I remember growing up, I saw a movie, I, I saw two movies, and one of them, the, the parent who lost the child was in court, and there is the murderer there, and the parent was like vicious and intense, like you should be put in the chair, you know, like really scornful and spiteful, wanted revenge, and you know, was that deserved? Was it worthwhile? Was there an intention to murder? You know, just use an extreme example of, of polarity and suffering here. And then in movie B, the the prisoner you know, wanted to repent. The parent said, I forgive you. I know you're not that type of person anymore. I think you know, it would make sense for justice to be served, but I forgive you. And so we have that option in every time that you know, even we feel pain without somebody coming at us. Say you stub your toe. You know, do you swear? Do you blame yourself? Or do you say, oh, this is a test of my enlightenment, a test of whatever. I'm going to choose to laugh and then laugh as a reaction when I stub my toe. And I'm going to choose not to suffer. And I feel if we, we want to ascend and we feel like we're getting higher, we need to do what a spiritual VC, venture capitalist Joe Hudson says, is try to be triggered and try in you know, safe, generally controlled settings to be triggered in a safe way, whatever that means. Have somebody say something to you that hits a vulnerability, an old wound. And you know, if you can sit there and take it, say somebody roasting you, but you know, trying to go below the belt, and just you know, hold lot laughter, loving, peacefulness, and detachment. Uh, celebrities actually are good at this, or pretend to be. If you look at some of those like celebrities read mean tweets or laugh at each other or insult each other videos, um, Josh Brolin uh, did this with um, with uh, Ryan Reynolds of Deadpool. Uh, you know, Deadpool and Cable, they were insulting each other. It was so funny. You could tell they didn't actually mean it. So you, we have this harmonization as examples all over the place of here's the stimulus coming in. Do we want to choose pain and suffering or do we want to realize we can rest in joy and not choose to be hurt? It's a really great answer. Um, I definitely agree with all that. What, what it makes me think of is um, alchemy. And I'm curious your thoughts on alchemy. What I've heard is, you know, we have that, that idea of like alchemy is like the, the chemistry alchemy of uh, turning lead to gold. Um, but another way that I heard it that I think makes more sense um, and I, shoot, I can't remember where it comes from. It is some sort of like 
mystery school. I don't know if it's the Templars or something, but basically it's like the process of taking that negative energy, right? We're in polarity, positive, negative. So someone says, hey, Matt, I love your podcast. Ooh, that feels good. That's positive. Hey, Matt, you're a huge loser. Your podcast sucks and everything about you is the worst. And I'm like, oh, darn. <laughs> right? right to the feelings. Um, and so I take that feeling of that, that, that pain and that catalyst and that negativity that, that I'm experiencing. And, you know, from that higher level, it's not a good or bad. They just said something. I just identified with one. And one way that I've heard enlightenment before is that, um, someone could give you a compliment or, um, or a put down and you remain the same. And I kind of, the more I think about that, I, I believe it's pretty bang on. Um, but when we're getting these catalysts in the world and you learn to alchemize it, you learn to Aikido it, you now have fuel, right? You're, you're, you're allowing that fuel to transform it, to bring you up, to bring you to a higher state. So you need that fuel to get you to that next level. So, you know, if you're right at the beginning, you might be getting stuff all day, just bam, 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 right? Giving you more fuel, more practice, more practice and practice makes perfect. So I'm just curious if you wanted to either like elaborate on that idea or maybe what you've learned about like alchemy or anything like that. And if that, if that's like similar to yeah, what you've learned. So much, there's like 12 things. So I'll try to do <laughs> 12. Perfect. 12 things have come up. Yeah. So one just to be cute is, have you seen Interstellar? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. So the black hole was something to surrender into. And when you surrendered into the black hole, you have this boom expansion of your concept of reality and time. And then everything is evolved and everything makes sense. So when that black hole set in return, dark night of the soul, challenge, somebody hits your car, cuts you off, whatever, comes at you, can you fully surrender into it and allow it to move you in the current? Or do you paddle really hard and realize, oh, the current's stronger, I'm going to strengthen my muscles, that's my choice, that's what makes sense now. Um, so it's a really interesting question, alchemy. Uh, and Her has a school of alchemy, and defining alchemy, you know, if you watch Full Metal Alchemist, one of the best shows about alchemy, despite, you know, how much is fiction and real. Uh, Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, I'd recommend a bit more. It's based on the original manga, but both are excellent shows. You look at this idea of transmutation. And the principle in that show, which I think is really good for us to think about, is there is a transmutation of energies, non-physical into physical, physical into a different type of physical. So in Dom and Her, in their alchemy school, and they had like a three-day preview. It's a, a school that you can take three weeks all at once or you can take it like in monthly sessions, depending on where you live, or do like a three-day preview, which is the first three days of the longer curriculum. Um, one of the things that they offered when I took it is how to create a potion. They're like, oh, yay, real magic, let's make potions. So say, for example, that goji berries, say this was just started out as water, right? Just say reverse osmosis, pure water. And I held it, I sent a very strong intention, I'm a powerful wizard, somebody drinks it and they feel elation or their wounds heal instantly um, or their thoughts shift slightly more positively depending on how powerful it is, which of course is a co-creative experience. So now let's look at a higher element of divinity, a higher element of alchemy saying, well, I'm gonna take my thought of goji drops and everything required to make this bottle, the paper, the ink, the glass, the rubber, and I'm going to, through quantum stuff, through sacred geometry stuff, through chi, through intention, through influencing the aspects of myself of, that are oversouls and that are individual souls under that to create goji drops and whisper in somebody's ear the inspiration and reveal to somebody in a dream or intuition or signal that there's a mind that they can you know, get certain metals from that are related to like the shininess of the ink here 
And so all of these things, but for most of us, practically, alchemy is about transmutation. And a lot of teachings and writings say, well, it has nothing to do with physical metals. It has to do with your soul. What does it mean if your soul is lead, is tin, is gold? And so there's a lot of maps when you look online, what are the qualities of a soul that elevates, ascends from bronze to silver to gold? And then you could say to light at, at higher levels. So alchemy really doesn't have a limit. And you could call chemistry a type of alchemy. You could call psychology a type of alchemy. But in Dalman Hurrian purposes, it is really a school of directly applied magic. Um, so at higher levels, you experiment with time. At higher levels, you, as mentioned, create chimeras, create beings, which again is a hermetic principle, uh, a hermetic technique, uh, or a technique discussed in hermetics. And so learning and understanding alchemy is just realizing we do it all the time. Digestion is alchemy. And so breaking it down, what type of alchemy do we want to learn and why? Do we want to have it as a spiritual perspective of purification and enhancement of our character? of our spiritual nature, a transmutation of stuff in the physical world, or you could say both. As you purify your body and your mind and your spirit from stuff, release traumatically trapped emotions, lose the body fat that was trapping the cortisol that stored them, clear out your heavy metals, which could cause mood instability. You know, you purify your body, your mind, and your spiritual expression. So all of it is together, and I feel that as we learn to purify and enhance and refine ourselves into gold, um, if we choose, we can also learn more and more magic around the world, um, which is why if you look at a lot of systems of waking up, um, they often include growing up with them, uh, which is referenced in that spiritual maturity of not reacting to stimuli, to insults, to compliments, because your self-image is so held in vibration and so held in knowing that everything around you, you know as a dance. Um, and one thing I would add, maybe this is, you know, item number 11 on the list, I wasn't keeping track, but say somebody insults you, um, you know, Jeffrey Martin is a really amazing human. He said he sold his first company at 14, and for years he researched mystical traditions and created this thing called Finder's Course. So um, if somebody messages me, I can give them some info. Um, but Finder's Course is a system where you do all these meditative practices, and some like 73% of people wake up have enlightenment and have it be stable. And his regular scientific secular term for that is persistent non-symbolic expression. And once when we talked, he said, well, that's stage four and they're actually higher stages. And stage five is when you choose to go back into emotion and feel positive emotion. And so maybe somebody insults you and you're like, I love you. And now does that love piss them off? Does that love level them up? You know, it depends on a bunch of factors. But if you actually get positive emotion and experience more emotions, um, it, a lot can be said for, are you really at those higher levels or are you even higher? And I'd like to state that, um, or posit that we're higher. That once we realize we create and choose this experience, maybe we wanna to choose to feel sadness, to empathize with somebody, to work with that energy, to infuse it into a potion. Maybe we realize somebody we live with is blocking their sadness with anger, and if they felt sadness, it would help them release it. And if we do a healing session with them and allow ourselves to feel sad and have the mirror neurons offer sadness that maybe their nervous system could realize it's safe to feel sadness, it's safe to be vulnerable, it's safe to release the stuff and let it go. So in uh, some of my videos, I, I do that and I, I hold worry. And to do that, I need to feel a little bit of worry to hold that frequency. 
So I feel like at higher levels as we approach mastery, we have more control over emotions. And it isn't just being a placid cow, but it's allowing ourselves to ride certain waves. Just we are always, always in command and control and choice of what we feel. Yeah, that's a really good point. I like that. I, I definitely agree with it. And I think that there's a distinction to be made because, um, you know, when you have uh, sadness, let's say your little tiny puppy gets hit by a car, you're going to feel sad. You're not supposed to like, oh, I'm totally fine. I'm not sad. Like we're having a human experience. We have emotions. And I think that there's a danger when people will like, you know, try to law of attraction or positive think away something that's terrible. Now it's not like, um, but it depends. Like, let's say you lose your job. I use this analogy on uh, one of my buddies that I'm coaching. Um, and I was like, you could lose the contract and be like, okay, great. No problem. Um, you know what I mean? Something better is going to come. That can be a real thought. And you could also, if you want, be pissed off about it for a second. Just don't stay there. You're allowed to be human. You know what I mean? Like, but if you get stuck in that state, then that's, that's a little bit destructive. Um, if something serious happens and, you know, a family member is hurt, you're going to feel a certain way and we shouldn't like shun it away. And I think you, some people are teaching that and that, that's not my view, but we need to understand it kind of goes to materialism versus possibly realism, if that makes sense. Or just like, okay, I've, my car got hit. I can lose my mind or I can be like, oh, okay, cool. Like that's totally fine. It's a material object. Everybody's okay. I'm okay. I don't need to get all this wild emotion. But if you're at the stage where you are in anger and things like that, um, just try to see, you know, analyze that for a second, dive in, get to the root of it. And um, you can use that as a catalyst because it'll go, it'll go down into like your, your core issues and beliefs of fear and security and stuff like that. And you can use it as a tool um, to go into the depths, like the darkness and the alchemy of yourself to find a piece of information that you don't want to look at if you like, if you cover it and you can cover it with anger, you can cover it with frustration, you can cover it with any different thing. But if we just kind of dive in and then release it, we're finding information kind of like, you know, the diamond in the rough scenario. But I think you want to say something. So go for it. It's a very subtle thing to have a tragedy occur and to look at the reaction and to call that proper or improper. Um, I was in the ICU when a good friend was in the process of leaving his body from a ketamine overdose. And a lot of people in the community were there. Some were crying, some were just in shock. And I was feeling different emotions. And for part of it, I felt elation because I was tuned into his soul and he was so happy to be out of his body. And as a channel, channeling a medium of very, very close, I could feel he's like, hey guys, don't worry. I'm doing the backstrokes in heaven, I'm all good. And so just like you could say, what's your baseline strength? Can you curl 20 pounds or is curling 20 pounds really hard for you? Well, how about 10? How about five? How about one? And so if something happens, death of a child, death of a parent, somebody runs over your puppy, it's totally fine to accept the fact that you cannot curl 80 pounds. You may not have whatever you think may need to be present for you to stay in pure joy when that happens. And I think what maybe what you're saying is it's okay to recognize that you can lift a 10 pound weight and this is a 50 pound weight. So you really feel it and it's okay to feel it and be human. But I would also offer that if you know you can curl 80 pounds, no problem. And you know, you're choosing to react with anger, sadness, whatever. One thought is just be aware of why are you making that choice? And, you know, if you look at neuroplasticity, if you think a certain way, it's easier to have that thought again, you build those neural grooves. So 
I'm of the opinion, at least for myself, that if something happens and I can choose higher, more positive emotions or lower ones with full authenticity, I want to choose higher ones because I want to stay in the upward spiral of habits and neural glues that proves the 3D brain reflection of all this other stuff of choosing to have everything support my evolution leveling up. Where this can get tricky is when people try to convince themselves, oh, I should feel better. Well, there's no should. You can't, if you can't curl 80 pounds, if your body just doesn't have the mechanics, if you don't have command over the chi and you cannot do it, there's no negative judgment about you can't do it and saying you should do it makes no sense. If I told you that you should be able to lift a car with your little finger 500 times in a row, that would be ridiculous unless you know, I know you can do that and you want to. Um, and I know you can at a higher level, but you know, just being super 3D for a second. Yeah, exactly. And you, you nailed the distinction on the head and I think you put it in a really real way. I was just curious, if, or were you uh, referring to Dave? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, he was great. He filmed my uh, wizard school and um, yeah, he's, he's a lovely soul. Well, I, I, um, yeah, I knew Dave as well. And, uh, he is a really, uh, beautiful soul in like every single way. So, um, just because he was brought up, I just wanted to honor him for a second and, um, and maybe just ask you what was one of your favorite things about him or one of the favorite experiences you had with him? He was just such a giver. You know, he really cared about other beings and just loved giving. There's a mutual friend who goes by the name Cosmic Seahorse. And when Dave was at a festival, he actually found a painting of a seahorse in space. It was literally a Cosmic Seahorse. And there's a video played at his memorial where Cosmic, you know, saw a Cosmic Seahorse. And Dave just bought this painting and gave it to him because he knew it would bring him joy. He didn't say, yeah, brother, you know, here's what I paid if you want to cover some of it. He just like gifted it to him. And I don't, I don't think he was you know, very wealthy at that point. Um, I was staying with him at the Lucidity Festival when I was giving a few workshops. He set me up with a shift pod. He, you know, really helped me with like a lot of logistical things, which is amazing. Um, and there was a point where he had a bunch of things, like a bunch of fun festival things and people needed some. And he didn't even know who they were. He's just like, I want to give you a happy, positive experience. So, you know, here, don't give me anything else. And he, you know, he would always give time when we were working together, I would call him up and he would just give me his time just to talk about stuff in life. I mean, it was mutual, but he just had so much love and giving energy. And I think we could really use a lot more of that in the world. I think a lot of people are very like into what they can get. And, um, you know, I, I hope that as he offers that um, from the places where he's working now, we can all take it in. Awesome, man. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that. Um, we're talking about a, a friend of ours that we lost, David Ray. And uh, he was an absolutely magical, beautiful human and somebody that I think, it, like you said, is just an amazing um, standard of what it is to be a human in the sense of the most important ways. Like, um, you know, at Burning Man, you know, I ended up um, – running into like a memorial forum right away and, and meeting, you know, soul palace and, and that entire crew and those amazing people. And, um, and it was like right away at Burning Man, you know, I was like magical. And I was like, Oh my God. And that's just like right in there. And, uh, you know, I meet Bailey and that, that whole crew. And, and I was like, that was the start of my Burning Man this year. 
And I was like, oh my God, like so deep. But um, he's like such an embodiment of what it is to be human. And if I'm remembered in that way, you know, the way that he was, it like as kind as he was, you know, as giving as he was, he was never out to, you know, get anything. It was always like, what can I give? How can I support you? How can I make um, this moment with you better? And, you know, I think that on the podcast and, and what we explore here is, um, you know, consciousness expanding and, and, and all these great things and, and manifesting in our world and, you know, building this life and then you lose somebody and it really brings you back down to the ground and like what's important. And I think that as far as what is important, it's being kind human when you can, it's being giving when you can, it's being authentic when you can. And I think that he embodied all of those things. And um, I just wanted to bring him into the conversation because I loved him a lot. You know, I didn't have, you know, I only had a few like direct human experiences with him, but we always stayed in touch and he was such a, a great example of being a human. So I just wanted to, to move and, and share, you know, bring him in here right now. Shout out brother. I love you. I miss you. Um, and yeah, you inspire me still. So you're, you're still with us, my friend. Um, love you too, man. Yeah. Um, so I, now I don't know where to go with this cause I've, I got all, all, all sidetracked, but, um, okay. So I guess, can you speak about one of the questions that I wrote down was some of the uh, philosophies, like some of the, uh, or not philosophies, either the philosophies or practices that you do at the mystery school to, you know, increase awareness uh, in, in any kind of magical way. At mine or in Dom and hers? Well, either. The best ones you got. I, want the be- I don't want you to give me the crap ones. I want you to give me the, the best ones. That's <laughs> the best well, ones. The crap ones are part of unity. And it is- <laughs> <laughs> the ones that work, the ones that are the most efficient. Yeah. Um, the most efficient is something that is a bit similar to Nagong. Uh, so internal Qigong, being aware of the flow of energy through your central channel and your chakras and with knowing, with visualization, maybe with breath, maybe with padding. Um, but I, I like to believe and operate with as few physical props as possible. Um, even though it's wonderful to use physical props. So for example, um, you know, using an amethyst to absorb negative energies and neutralize them is a cool tool, yet can you create a vortex, a portal, a field where those energies are neutral just through consciousness, not even a mudra, not even a hand gesture? Um, if you've seen Doctor Strange, which is a beautiful 2016 movie, um, you know, Strange is like, I can't do the magic because it's, it's my hands after his big surgery that, that never healed him fully. And uh, Ancient One calls in Master Hamir, who's missing a hand. He creates the, the sparkly mandala. And Stephen's like, shit, it's not my hands. <laughs> and so, you know, then we learn about surrender and all this really rich stuff. So realizing that we are consciousness affecting reality is easiest in our own bodies. Our bodies are a great laboratory. Our bodies have experienced a whole range of things. Our bodies are our vehicle for ascension. Um, and being mindful of people who have all types of motor skills from being an acrobat Cirque du Soleil performer to not having control over one's physical body and living with the assistance of technologies. Um, you know, if you can visualize where your energy flows and if you can move it with a felt sense, then you can, as you know, enhance your physical strength, you can heal yourself and you can activate things. If you want to create a field of love and just build a loving presence and have that surround your physical space, then that's just working with energy. You also have a map of love and the Anahata or fourth chakra 
and maybe you've studied that a bit. Maybe you know of the mantra yam. Maybe you know even further if you really work with those energies. That's the energies to unlock flight. And you know you really work and expand that field because you understand the universe inside you. And there's so much we can learn about the world in terms of planets and their orbits and chemistry and medicines and tinctures and crystals and sacred geometry and correspondences and working with other people and geographic locations and cycles of equinoxes and Mayan calendars and eclipses and all this outer world stuff. But if we can really master the inner world, you know, the microcosm is the macrocosm. And the more we look inside, certain maps say certain deities and divinities are in certain body parts, depending on the system, then we really start to be at a point where we're developing control over the energy that affects physical reality. And if we can see that in our own experience, we can take that same training and apply it out there in the world. Um, a lot of schools that teach telekinesis talk about seeing that thing as yourself and moving a part of yourself. And some say, well, if you use subtle energy, use the subtle energy to move the thing. And then others say use biofield energy or use body heat or magnetism and magnetic waves or attention or you know, other mechanisms of action. So working with the inner system, I feel is very, very important. And so my URL before my website was magicalgoldenage.com, and there's some good stuff on it, but it needs a lot of work if anyone goes there, but people can go there and sign up for wizard school and updates and things like that. Before it was magicalgoldenage.com, it was magicmoneyhealth.com. Because working with those energies, I feel, are ways of mastering things that a lot of us want to change. We want to change energies and manifestations related to our body, related to our finances, and really just related to, to magic in the world overall. And that, that word, that phrasing, that URL, it didn't convey the meaning that I had wanted it to just from reading the URL. People said it turned them off and Magical Golden Age feels a much higher vibration. But I feel like working with health, it's a great chemical laboratory, especially because there's so much research on it. And it's something that will definitely turn the Petri dish pink. It is permissible magic. It is in all the systems. It is okay in all the systems. Um, you know, even a lot of traditions which, you know, called medicine women and faith healers and practitioners of the arts and old people and elders witches and burn them, um, you know, usually let things slide or usually said it was okay to have healings. Maybe not those people, but, you know, of the magic that was available, healing was usually, if not always permissible, the last to go. Right. Wow. Yeah, holy crap. There's a lot there. I'm just <laughs> like, bro, how do I process a question out of that? However you want, bro. You know, well, what the main thing that, that I got from that, what I, what I believe is like, you know, when you, when you move around and you go to, let's say, a new person walks into a room, you can tell if they're really pissed off and they're having a terrible day and they're a bad person or whatever the case is, you're gonna, that, that's going to change the energy of the room because now there's a, it, literally on a biological level, there's a threat. You know, <laughs> it's just like, this person is really a, a terrible person. They're holding the gun or whatever or they're just super angry you know they might just throw some plates they're a threat and they're affecting everybody in that field from just a really simple base level and you know if you want to go into a room and you can generate the feeling and the authenticity of kindness of love of compassion of generosity and you pump yourself up with that energy in the way that you would do it and there's many different ways that you can do it but you got to get to that feeling somehow within yourself in an authentic way um, you can think about a memory when you were kind. You could think about setting the intention. You could uh, do breathing. Um, one of the ways where people are like, oh, I'm so stressed out. Uh, I can't, I can't, I can't calm down. I just say, okay, breathe in as slow as you can. 
and then holds your breath as long as you can and then breathe out as slow as you can after that, bam, you've just done it. So you affect your whole biological state through your breath and then that's going to calm you down. You can set the intention, generate that emotion and it's going to change how you interact with people. It's going to change and affect your whole environment. And that's a really powerful thing. And it's a gift every single time you go into uh, an environment with that. And um, you can learn how to do that. And that's through your own consciousness. You know, that's through your own decision. That's through your own, um, yeah, your own decision to just do that. And you, or you can stay, stay in a funky state and do whatever you're doing. Um, so one of the questions that I was curious about that I, that I put at the beginning and now we're here, so I want to ask it, is um, what is for you, the most wild and out there thing that you have ever seen firsthand. I would say, I'll go with a direct experience. I'm sure you've heard some craziness because I have heard some craziness in my life, um, but I've also experienced some wild craziness. Um, so I'm just curious if you could share your most wild direct experience um, that made you like, oh my goodness, that's some, that's some wild stuff there. Yeah, brother. Um, there's, there's a lot. You know, I tend not to rank them. Um, I love what you were talking about related to breath and pranayam, uh, whether people do it through alternate nostril breathing or Kalabhakti breath of fire. Cause yeah, that's engaging the physical body. If we do one thing, the breath is definitely one of the best bridges from consciousness to the body. Um, gosh, so I, I don't like ranking them because I like seeing magic in all things. And I feel like if I said, well, this time where aerokinesis and controlling the direction of the wind to influence how flags were blowing to see the validation for this bit of really cool magic, if I say that's number one, I think my, my egos would want to really spend a lot of time there. And I'm looking at the fundamental nature of reality that allows all magic to be possible, not just focusing on um, you know, one specific thing that I feel is more important than all the others for demonstration purposes. Although I do focus on you know, a few certain things at a time in terms of meditation and the mystical abilities, I'm, I'm getting to a certain level. And then it just, like physical health is just about maintenance. Um, you know, there was, there was a time when, uh, okay, I'm, I'm getting permission to share this. Um, this was actually, well, there's, there's two. And I wrote about one in book one and the other's coming in book two. So I think, um, I think the more socially acceptable story is, um, and I write about this in my first book in the chapter called The Miraculous Healing. Uh, my father uh, has, you know, very successfully beat cancer, but until he had beat it, he was uh, in chemo. And once when he was getting scoped, it was colon cancer, he, uh, his colon burst and he went into sepsis, into toxic shock. So, you know, I drove to the hospital, my mom and I were there and the nephrologist, the kidney doctor said, his kidneys aren't functioning. We're doing a lot of work, but he might need dialysis permanently, at least for a few months, and he could die. And it was really harrowing to both of us. And the fact that the, the lower pops possibility was months of dialysis, you know, what a, what a thing to go through, right? So mom dealt with it in her way, and my way of dealing with it was to, um, you know, walk to the other side of the waiting room, open my computer, I was in college at the time, and work on an essay. And just to like, okay, I don't need to react emotionally. There's nothing I can do. I'm just going to focus on what I can do and use my time well. Um, and I wasn't praying regularly then or, or other stuff. And then I was just reminded from my earlier days, um, you know, 12, 13, 14, my first phase of study, like I actually can do something about this. 
So I kept the computer window open so people wouldn't, you know, think I was crazy walking around, casting a circle, chanting and doing all the ritual stuff. And I just got into a state of knowing. And I, I feel that higher self really came in because there was less, less ego involvement, but I, I knew what to do in the moment of needing to do it. And Falco Tarasco, named Alberto Araudi when he was born, um, wrote in his autobiography, The Alchemist, a lot of these transmissions of if you want something to happen, you know, it'll happen when it needs to, and the knowing will just come, and then the thing will happen, and then you, know, you have more conscious control. It's kind of like somebody moves your body through riding a bike, and then you know how to ride a bike. So I just saw his kinesis functioning. Um, I didn't know anatomy to great detail. I just saw what I visualized as fluids moving and healthiness and good proclamations from doctors. And it was very, very strong. Um, and it wasn't very long. Esther Hicks talks about 17 seconds. Uh, Vishan of Mind Valley did as well when we talked. And so, you know, maybe it was 17 seconds, maybe it was a little more or less. And I just knew he was fine. And a few minutes later, I was getting some hot chocolate. The kidney doctor comes back up and uh, mom freaked out because he came up 15 minutes after the first um, message. And it sounded like, you know, dad needed hours more surgery, no matter what. And he said, Larry's kidneys mysteriously started functioning. He probably won't need dialysis. We're doing it for two days to be safe, but he'll be fine. So that was cool, you know, because it wasn't like I said earlier about the clouds disappearing and the stars appearing or the telekinesis or the times I saw lights materialize or stars move or, um, you know, 222 is the number I give. And by, by now it's more than that because they happen all the time. But that's what was one of the most, if not the most, practically useful times in life. Um, and, you know, you could call it synchronicity, you could call it probability, maybe you could call it precognition. Um, you know, a super skeptic would say, maybe dad was going to be fine, the doctor just wanted to say, worst case scenario, just in case it got worse. Um, but I like to think there was some causality there. And I'm very grateful for that happening because that's what, that's what planted the seeds of faith uh, for my own health crisis to go the magical route and what led me to eventually find William Bankston, who has, I think, one of the flashiest things that has been caught with good data. Um, Bankston will go to Ivy League universities like Brown, get mice that are injected with cancer, become terminal, get covered in tumors, do hands-on healing. The mice are not only healed, but immunized from cancer. And if you go to Bankston, B-E-N-G-S-T-O-N, research.com, he's also uh, the president of the Society for Scientific Exploration. You see you know, his research. And so, you know, it's cool when we can see stuff like this or Greg Braden's video of a medicineless hospital where a tumor vanishes in real time as people chant over a body that isn't cut and the tumor just goes away. Um, as we study practical magic, especially through the accessibility point of healing, we're like, all right, how much would my life change if I could levitate cats versus heal anything instantly? And, you know, when I was 12, I wanted to shoot fireballs out of my hand. Um, but as I, as I grew up, I realized, okay, would that ever get boring? How useful would it be really? You know, can I eat that? <laughs> and, and just realizing, you know, again, there's, there's entertainment and then there's practically useful. And of course, you know, entertainment is useful because through entertainment, we can inspire and transmit and uh, often teach. Holy crap, man. Those are some pretty intense, <laughs> those are pretty intense stories. I'm going to definitely check out this Kingston uh, research. That's that's interesting stuff um, and incredible story about your father. That's um, I, I like that idea too. Like, you know, there, 
the way that I kind of frame it is, is like, I do believe we influence our reality. And I think it's like a give and take. I see sometimes people are looking in the law of attraction and healing and stuff like that. And that might go too far. Like, you know, if you've got a, you know, if you break your arm, you need to go to the hospital. You don't magic that shit together. We have a doctor for a reason. You know what I mean? It's like, if I can, but, you know, give it a try though. So go ahead, but I was like, you give it a try, like try first. I love that idea. It's like, okay, break your arm. See if you can like heal it yourself, but if you, you know, go get medicine. Um, and then, you know, you're going to use the other side too. But what did you want to say? Yeah. I mean, I got really excited because I, th I think you, you have a great blending of a response. Like on during the wait for the ambulance and during the ambulance ride, you know, it's your pop quiz and magic and like, you know, pop quiz in elementary school, you have a certain amount of time and then the pencils are being mm. taken away. So if you <laughs> yeah. do it, you know, validate and do it. And if it takes 17 seconds and matter phases in and out, um, then, you know, why, why do you need three hours of ritual and preparation and candles and oil or whatever you think you need? Um, but yeah, I, I think you're right. And I say this often, like if, if you get hit by a car and a bone is coming through your leg and it's broken and you're in pain, like, yeah, go to the hospital. Um, but <laughs> I love I, I the do pop quiz. <laughs> pop quiz universe. Oh God. Right? Yeah, man, here's your chance. <laughs> but, you know, a real life example. Um, I used to study with Todd Zimmerman, uh, who's a beautiful human, does sound healing, uh, does some shamanic practices, holotopic breath work. Um, he was a Christian scientist for a long time. And once during a bike ride with friends, he hit a rock, physically flew, landed in not the best position. EMS came and he said, guys, I'm a Christian scientist. You're legally permitted to examine me because you have to, but don't tell me what you find. And he had to keep saying that. And eventually, you know, he could see by their facial expressions that seemed serious, but they didn't say anything. And he just laid there with, you know, whatever was initially broken or punctured or whatever. And he said after, you know, it felt like half hour, 45 minutes, he got up and he was completely fine. And I really love that story because, you know, we, we never know when that pop quiz will come. And maybe one of your viewers, maybe the 213, 214th person to watch this video will be offered a scenario with um, somebody close to them within the next few, two to three months where they have that pop quiz. And maybe they're away from uh, telecommunications uh, maybe not. Maybe it's dire and they can't wait for the medical chopper to arrive. Um, who knows? And they'll be really forced with that pop quiz to apply this stuff. And so if you think about priorities in life, um, it feels like a very high priority to, to learn magic to a sufficient degree, defining magic as a science of applied consciousness, um, because it is incredibly useful. And while you know, manifesting things like cars and jobs and raises and boyfriends and girlfriends and all that is, you know, great ways of enhancing life and feeling good and shifting away from emotional reactivity is nice. And if you really, really look at it, you know, most people can afford it, get health insurance, I think. Uh, most people who can afford it wear clothing they like. Most people can afford it, eat healthy. Um, but, you know, we wear seatbelts and we take care of our ourselves. And I'd like to offer that the more you understand magic, the more you realize it is necessary to build your skills as a magician or sorcerer or wizard or Kabbalist or whatever word one would choose. Um, because it is so powerful, it is the most powerful thing out there. Um, to be kind of serious for a sec. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I think that that story is interesting. I believe too, I think what magic, um, for me studying it is 
is important to understand like how your mind works, challenging your belief systems, um, how you view reality, um, giving yourself the most important fundamental thing for me is, is how you operate in belief because you're giving yourself no chance. Now, because my very, uh, amazing cousin is a, is a, uh, what is he? A heli paramedic or something. He would argue, do a first aid course. <laughs> so I think both, that, you know. But you, but I, what I'm out, but the yin yang is both. You know what I mean? Like I, like that's exactly what the mastery is of the Shaolin monks. They have the mastery of body, you know, and mind. And you need both. You need to be able to use the tool, um, but also with the thought. And if and and you start with the thought, but you don't have the tool, you know, I think that we're moving to a possibility where thought influences to a degree that we don't understand. And I am all for that. Um, and then also to using the physical tool because that's where we're starting. And I think that that's also our process of becoming human of like graduating each stage, right? We're going each day. We're kind of taking off the training wheels, right? You kind of see this blip of a, of a miracle or something like that. And Wayne Dyer talks about a few where it's the same scenario where he had to help somebody up this like narrow corridor. And all of a sudden there was a big group of people and this guy couldn't make it. There was something wrong with him. He couldn't bend his back. I don't know. So he's like, okay, just come on my back. Wayne Dyer puts him on his back. Um, and then he's had, he's just about to get knee surgery. He had one bum knee. Now he has another bum knee. And he's like, I felt my knee was about to go out. You know, he's just like, but I had to put this guy on my back. It was like a circumstance. And he's like, I heard this voice say, just keep going. I kept going. Um, my knee didn't, um, break out. I was scheduled for surgery in like a month or two and it just healed my knee. But I felt like this energy, the super energy come up in a, in an extraordinary moment. So it's fascinating how like, you know, we, we've kind of got these two worlds. And I think that the, that's what we're living in is this balance of, of the yin yang. You've got the spiritual, you've got the material, um, etheric and things like that. And we're navigating both those realms and we're doing it through consciousness and then we can view the feedback that we're getting. So, you know, when we, when we train or when we do a meditation or when we observe a reality, but, um, if you don't entertain the idea that you couldn't heal yourself, there would be no possibility. What if you could, you know, it's an interesting thought, but also then, um, moving forward. And I wanted to moving forward with just like doing a practical thing. If your body's in danger, um, with the holotrophic breath work, what was that guy's name? I wanted to write that down. Todd Zimmerman. Todd? Todd, yeah. He's in Saratoga, California, near Los Altos. Um, really great human. He's on Facebook. Um, if people contact me, I'm, I'm happy to, to look into referring them. Um, he, he's a really, really skilled guy. Very kind, very sweet. Yeah, because that's a crazy – and I wanted to ask, were you, you were there. Do you know what was actually wrong with him? Like, do you know what it was? And I wasn't there. It happened a long oh. time ago. Okay, cool. Yeah, because I know that Sadhguru, he has a TED Talk about sitting there in India and he has this awakening and then, you know, he, he has this experience where he knows he can kind of access the realms that we're talking about and then he breaks his ankle or something. He breaks his leg and then he heals it. And this, he says this in his TED Talk. Um, and so, you know, I can't confirm if it's true or not, but I can say that that's a wild story and I'm interested in, in, in the possibility of learning that skill if there is one. Um, yeah. And so, that, and so uh, Dr. Joe Dispenza teaches workshops. Um, I believe his method would, would work for this stuff. William Bankston does as well. I think Bankston teaches fewer. I took Bankston's workshop and uh, it, it worked. And what they both had in common, they use different languaging techniques, explanations, is going back to our very beginning of using your conscious observation to see reality as you want it to be. 
um, and you know, say you learn first aid, as you're walking for the kid and going for it, you know, you hold in visualization, or for your massage therapist, you do energy work and intention while you're working on, on the person's body. And so, yes, first aid, and you, know, you can do them simultaneously. Not like, you know, let me zap you for 30 seconds and if nothing happens, then I'll put on a Band-Aid. Like, as you're reaching for the Band-Aid, you can parallel process and see them as heal. Um, yeah, well, they- I did, I did uh, two of Dr. Joe's as well. And cool. the stories that came out of there were incredible. And, and really, the most fundamental core belief of that is you can heal yourself. And yeah. the biggest challenge of where the, the illness can come in sometimes is, um, you know, Dr. Joe will phrase it as like accepting the death sentence of the doctor. Somebody tells you something, now that belief is planted. Now there's a belief that you are ill or there's a belief you can come back to full healing. And that's night and day. And yeah. so, you know, my idea would be like, if you look at somebody with a terminal illness, okay, right? You have it. They say you're going to die. You can either believe that or not. But if you can remove that belief and empower yourself to, I want to stay and I can heal myself, you're giving yourself an infinitely better chance um, of, of succeeding in that rather than not, because mm-hmm. otherwise yeah. you're giving yourself very little opportunity. Yeah. Um, I, I agree with you, Matt. And what, what Bingston said during uh, the workshop I took with him is he has found, or at least back then he had found his technique was more successful with people who did not have chemo because his technique was aligned with life and chemo was aligned with death. And he said a bunch of other things there, but that, that actually has stuff in common with Dominion philosophy um, and, and even Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality philosophy. And that book is a great mystery school, which we can get into for a little bit of this polarity of life and death, of complexity and growth and entropy and ending. And it's interesting because in the original Harry Potter series, Dumbledore was like, you know, accept death, it's natural, it's an adventure, it's okay. But as we pop out and look at souls and look in our consensus world outside of fic- fictions, even if they're good transmissions, we see the immortal yogis, we see Babaji, we see these people who, like Yukteswar, may leave a body, may create a new body, and are so in tune, not only with our immortality as a soul, but our mastery over the physical world, that these bodies become... Uh, just another thing that we can use or discard or transform as we want. And healing is a bridge, I feel. Um, I had a sprained ankle once and it was, you know, it hurt for five weeks. I had several grade two sprains in the past, one requiring a cast. And, um, you know, it hurt for so long. I'm just like, okay, screw this. I can heal it. I don't know why I didn't think of it sooner. I put my hand on it. I did Bankston's technique um, and it took a few minutes and then it was fine. And the next day I was sitting in Zazen with the, the ankle bended under itself and I was fine, which could not have even begun to enter that position, uh, you know, two days prior. But, you know, why stop there? Um, literally, why stop there? If the Kogi people in Aluna can grow a forest in 20 years, could we do that in 20 days and 20 minutes and 20 seconds? Um, there's a, a neat site that was taken off the internet, uh, Earth Mystery News, at least the, the pages that I was finding, and it had um, both an article and then you could find a video of a woman with a seed. And she, you know, did this stuff with intention and with chi, and then the seed had sprouted. And this was in under a minute. So if we have this power of physical reality, we can prove it in our own bodies. It can be shown on medical tests, not just functionality, that we change the structure. Dispenza regenerated crushed, um, crushed vertebrae, as, as he wrote in his book. And that, that's validatable. You can take an MRI. You can prove that. So why stop there? And so, you know, some people might want to grow six fingers. Some people might want to change their height or change other parts of their body. Some people might want to, um, you know, change a crystal. In Damanhur, it was said that Falco took some pebbles, closed his hand, and they were precious stones. 
that was sold to fund the city. Um, and, you know, it's very interesting, again, talking about spirit and matter and ego and service and surrender, because it's like, okay, you're in a financial crisis. Is this a wake-up call to take some pebbles and make diamonds and pay off loans and have food and, you know, live how you want to live? Or is it acceptance to, you know, find a different type of way to support yourself? And again, we go back to, you know, do both. Maybe during your daily routine, your practice, you try to materialize that diamond. If your schedule is that intense, then do it while you're on the toilet. Because, you know, if you need some time, that's, that's some time. And you do that while you look for especially with money. I've taught a lot of money magic workshops um, and a lot of them involve Lakshmi. And a lot of times um, when I work with Lakshmi, the probabilities of reality shift and I'm a lot more likely to have financial prosperity come in in the ways that I have been, you know, wanting, hoping, seeking for it to come into the world. Uh, I'm looking away because the internet is a little bit unstable, so I'm closing some tabs. Um, so... It's, it's interesting realizing, well, if we have control over reality, and that's magic, the, the science too advanced for most people to fully understand, so we use the word magic, despite all the synonyms of illusion and fiction and fantasy and stuff, and so why stop there? And so my mystery school isn't just about using consciousness to heal and change your experience, it's let's grow those forests really fast. Let's materialize those precious stones because there's all these disparities in wealth and cryptocurrency seems to be dragging its feet on the big changes that it was promised. So let's take all the spiritual, kind, good-hearted, loving people, give them you know, the opportunity to create wealth while working on the ego so the ego doesn't run away with that and help the world level up and change that way and get rid of debt that way. Let's work on the ecosystem that way. If we want a fun experience, um, you know, maybe we don't need to drive to the movies, maybe you don't need to watch TV, we can just trip, astral project, with or without, uh, for most people, without plant medicine, um, and just, let's say in general, without plant medicine, and just go on an astral journey and have something way richer and better than any entertainment. Or take an enlightenment practice and just sit in the bliss of samadhi and not need any mood-altering mood anything. Um, and so, you know, there, there's so much more to magic than just the introductory stuff and the flashy stuff. And, you know, it's like, it's like exercise. It's what do you feel called to? Do you like to run? Do you like to elliptical? Do you like to swim, wrestle, parasol, jujitsu? Maybe, maybe mix it up, right? And so, you know, same with magic. You build your foundational skills and then you, you explore. Awesome, man. Well, it sounds, it sounds good to me. I'd, I'd, I'd enjoy that weekend. I think that every time I go to a festival, it's pretty much like that. Um, you know, the, the interesting experiences, but you can do that in um, meditative states. You can, you know, you can explore binaural beats. There's all these different kinds of things you can do um, with introspection um, rather than seeking out. And, um, you know, I think that it is um, an interesting exploration and for f the fundamental uh, shift or perspective that I think is the most value is belief and understanding that each individual choice or perspective or experience you can have on this planet, the one thing that's going to influence it the most like magic is your belief. And so whether that comes to, uh, do you believe you can improve your life? Uh, do you believe you can find a mate that loves you? Do you believe that you can influence your reality? Do you believe you can heal your body? Do you believe you can have a joyous, incredible life experience that you can imagine and magic and imagination um, go hand in hand? I think magic, belief, imagination, and then the, you know, you could call them rituals or, or science of manifestation, influencing your reality through word, through thought, through deed, through practices. Um, and it kind of, 
is very similar and akin to um, the law of attraction of which I've studied pretty, pretty in depth. And it's, it's, it's fairly straightforward. You know, if you want to, um, you know, be the best ping pong player in the world, I always use that ex- analogy for some reason. But if you study ping pong, if you learn about ping pong, if you play ping pong every single second of every single day, um, versus somebody who doesn't, you're going to get a different result in six months. Um, so I think that all of this stuff is very important to explore, explore your own belief systems, explore what you believe is possible, like the four minute mile analogy where nobody believed it was possible. Somebody runs the four minute mile. Now everything's possible. You know, you can't heal your body. Somebody does it um, and shows you a way and it's like, Oh, is that actually possible? And then people start trying it and we're going to start to experiment um, or whatever the case is um, and whatever the limits are, which I have no idea what they are. Um, I, I think that it is boundless and I think that it's a very personal process for how you navigate your own life experiences, your own ascension, your own connection with spirit, God, the universe, magic, or whatever the case is. Um, but I just want to thank you so much for coming on and sharing everything you did. I was taking notes the whole time and there's like a, there's a lot of stuff in there. Um, and there's also a lot of links of, of people for people who are interested and want to explore, um, whether they go through you or explore some of these people that you referred to that I have in the show notes. Um, but I just want to ask before, um, we close it out. Is, is there anything that you wish that I had asked you or that you want to uh, elaborate on before we uh, finish and it's an open floor for you to uh, do so as you wish? Yeah, brother. Um, you know, there's, there's so much that one can offer and there's so much that I've, I've put out there that isn't published and a lot there that is, and it's just about distribution. Um, I'd say if anybody appreciates what I've offered, there's a few ways to engage in it more deeply. So in my Magic Goes Real book on Amazon, a lot of the, the beings I've referenced, I don't think Todd is in there. He might be in the acknowledgements. Um, there's a lot of names and a lot of references that people can continue. Um, on Facebook, I'm David, facebook.com slash David Magic Solomon. Um, my website's magicalgoldenage.com. If people want to register for um, a lot of regular spells for wizard school, um, I'm at patreon.com slash magicaljoy. And I've been very deep in the study. I'm, I'm new to doing this in the professional world. So um, my Patreon page and my, my website have a bit of a ways to go. Um, and I, I really always care to support people. Uh, and I'd say ultimately, you know, for whoever's viewing, for whatever they wished was asked, I'd say you know, believe in yourself, believe in your truth, and just ask spirit, ask your higher self, your oversoul, the divinity you work with if you choose to, um, you know, what do I need and where could I find it? And for some people who have open upper chakras, that information might just come in. For others, it might be a name or an action. So I'll, we'll just end with offering that technique um, because we can all learn whatever we choose to at any moment through whatever mechanism of action makes sense. Um, so I believe in all of you. And if uh, you guys believe in me or anybody else that I've mentioned, um, support in, in any and every form helps us be able to do what we do and serve and invest more time and energy. And uh, Matt, just so much love and gratitude to you for being on the show. Oh, thank you, man. Well, I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, it was a very <laughs> fascinating conversation and I'm going to be doing a little bit of uh, research after this. So I appreciate cool. um, you and coming on and sharing all that stuff and, and putting all this together. So uh, thanks for coming on and, and thanks everybody for watching. Cheers. Peace. 
All right, guys, that wraps up that incredible episode with David Solomon. I hope that you enjoyed it. If you did, please share it on social media. Share your aha moments. Share what you learned with your friends and tag us on Instagram and on Facebook. The best thing that you can do is one kind act for someone else today if you really get the message. And even more, if you do the kindness challenge, I will love you so much. I love you anyways, but you're just committing to do three kind acts a day for a week. It's not that hard. And just tag me in it. Just say kindness challenge on Instagram and on Facebook, Matt Belair, and just let me know you're taking it. And that way I know the podcast is working and that's awesome because that's the idea. Let's take these concepts into action, into the ground, be a spiritual master today. Um, You can go to mattbelair.com and sign up for the email list and get a free lucid dreaming when you go forward slash lucid dreaming. If you're interested in coaching or speaking for myself or David Lone Bear, um, just hit up uh, matt at zenathlete.com or forward slash coaching if you want to explore that. Really want to level up. Uh, really want to learn more about consciousness, personal development, peak performance, uh, mindset, mindfulness, all that kind of stuff. Um, happy to help you out there. Definitely check out David's site. Check out his handmade incredible jewelry, but he is bringing these ancient teachings to the West, to the world. I'm trying to support him the best that I can, and we definitely need help. So um, if you know anybody who wants to chip in, who's a web designer, video graphic, administrative assistant, um, logistics, we need all the help. We got a big, huge, massive vision and a very, very, very small team. Um, So uh, anybody who feels called to help, um, putting the call out, I would love some help and David would love some help. So um, that's what we need. So thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. Uh, check out the book Zen Athlete if you haven't yet it is a guide to self mastery you do not need to be an athlete it's very simple and easy tools Um, so that's that and I think that's it so before we close this out oh you can leave a review in iTunes yeah that's a thing Um, reviews in iTunes really help so please do that thank you to my patrons and I got it all now yeah so reviews are very helpful I appreciate that (laughs) so okay let's close this out I know you're busy so I respect your time and I'm so grateful you came here and I just uh, love and I appreciate you so very much so before we go let's just take in a deep breath in through our nose holding that breath setting the intention to come to peace and relaxation now from the tip of the head to the tip of the toes and just let that breath out slowly with all the to-do lists, cares, anxiety, depression, self-criticism. Taking another deep breath in through your nose, holding that breath and I'm sending you all of my love and energy and support as you fill yourself up with love, energy, gratitude, peace and connection. Feeling that energy magnify in the body and just let it out slowly with all the self-criticisms, all the self-doubt and all the worries, realizing and remembering that you are a divine, eternal creator being. Taking one more deep breath in through the nose, holding that breath, feeling your, filling yourself up with love, peace and gratitude and sending that energy out to your friends, to your family, to everybody on the podcast, to everybody in the world. And I'm sending you that energy, sending out to all the listeners, all the people and just hopes that you remember that you're incredible, whole, perfect, worthy, balanced, exactly where you need to be connected to spirit just as you are. So there you go. Go about and have an amazing day. Do something nice for someone else. Remember that you're connected, that you're enough. Look at what you're grateful for. Focus on what you have and remember that you can create on this planet through your own free will. So thanks so much for listening and we will catch you in the next episode.